Welcome to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. My name is Paul Reismanel. I'm one of your hosts. Hello, everybody. My name is Eric Klein, other host of Radio Survivor. And uh, today we're going to talk about podcasting, podcasting for the entire hour here. Paul, you went to a conference. Yes. A convention? A festival? I don't know what we call them anymore, right? Often they're called cons, you know, out of like comic con. A large building filled to capacity. A hotel in Anaheim, California, filled with podcasters. It's called Podcast Movement. This is the fourth one. This is the first one I've gone to. Mm -hmm. And I went uh, professionally because people may know that I work for Midroll Media, which is a podcasting company. It owns the network Earwolf. It also owns the uh, app Stitcher. And uh, we also sell ads onto podcasts like WTF with Mark Marin, the podcast version of Science Friday, and uh, about 300 other podcasts. Yeah. And uh, I do marketing there. And, um, we have many of our shows were there on stage giving presentations, you know, panels or mid-roll talking. shows at the podcast movement. Yes. Con. Yes. Included a show called brains on, which is a science podcast for kids on a whole panel about podcasting for kids. Yeah. That was cool. I, that was probably if there was a panel where I learned something I really didn't know it was that panel. Like they have a whole nonprofit that these shows that, that is about, uh, promoting good audio content for children yeah. and exploring and investigating like uh, how kids listen, what parents want, what would be good pedagogically, what's good developmentally for children. I thought that was really cool that they're doing. That. I thought about that a lot. And now my son who's entering middle school this year, I don't want him to listen to podcasts for kids at all. I want him to listen to podcasts. Well, you're, so yeah. I mean, he's, he's into 99% visible. He's right, into right. reply all. But if you were like maybe three or four years yes. younger, right, listening to the to a show that by and for kids in some degree. Yeah, much better than Doug Loves Movies. <laughs> yeah, probably. Which is one of his favorite shows uh, <laughs> that I, to this day, am, uh, I regret the error. But well, he, you know, at you least. Know, you know what he loved about it was the... Um, in Doug Loves Movies is is a comedian, Doug Benson, who watches movies with his friend. You know, basically talks about movies, but there's a lot of uh, four letter words. It can be a little adult. And right? Doug, Doug is most famous for his uh, his his marijuana positivity. He's a, he's yes. a pro pro marijuana legalization. The movie uh, super high me celebrity. But what my son uh, engaged with immediately and became obsessed with was uh, the game show aspect. Uh, oh, the uh, the Leonard Maltin game. Yeah, Doug loves movies. is a is a is a podcast filled with game shows. And so, what is what is the what is this Leonard Maltin game? Oh, it's a game show. It's a game show. Like you know, what's so funny? Gen X. But what has, is it? What what do people do? Oh, I don't want to describe the okay. rules of Doug loves movies. Leonard Maltin game. It's a wonderful game. Listen to the podcast. It's very popular. You could probably there's probably a Wikipedia page. Yeah, there that probably you could is. Search for the Leonard Maltin. Yeah, yeah, game. I'm sure. Uh, the point being is that how many game shows are there? Podcast game shows, not very many. Free idea. I just gave it away. Well, there's wait, wait, don't tell me. The worst. Show there is the uh, tell me something I don't know. Not aware of it. Yeah, that's uh, Stephen Dubner. I mean, it's it's a mid roll show. Here's wait, wait, don't tell me is big problem. If thanks for asking me my opinion, the news is not funny. It's not a joke. It's never been a joke, but more so than ever before. It's not okay to laugh the way they laugh. Mm. 
So we're already off the rails now, but I'm going to, I'm going to follow you down this path because so we're here to talk about podcast movement. Okay, here we go. In 1997, I went to the program directors conference, the public radio programs directors conference. At the time I was, uh, the closest thing to a program director at community radio WEFT and, uh, the corporation for public broadcasting gave scholarships to rural stations and uh, even though it's in the cities of Champaign-Urbana, uh, because it's relatively isolated, we count it as rural. So I got a scholarship from the CBB to go to this cool. program director's conference, which was sort of, you know, as a community radio person, I felt definitely as a fish out of water. <laughs> but they introduced, debuted, wait, wait, don't tell me. And the way they did it was over lunch. So they serve lunch in a in a in a big uh, you know auditorium sort of space, and they did wait wait don't tell me, and this will this will demonstrate why I will never be in program development at a major network. I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> it will never fly. Well, it's got were, a terrible name. You were right and, and you were uh, wrong. You were right that it was stupid. <laughs> you were right that the future would you the future will side with you, Paul. That this show is uh, useless. I didn't have the same reaction though. No. I was but I was. It not, is a huge, huge uh, money making no moral hit. Stand, it's so. a it's a money making hit for the public radio universe. Well, WBEZ in particular on a on a weekend. There aren't that many weekend hits. I've been told and. Uh, there's one of them. Yes. Anyway, uh, moving on. Talk. Anyway, so I was at this conference with hundreds of podcasters, the fourth one that's ever been held. Um, and we, you know, so uh, both, uh, and we had like folks from Midroll. So uh, our chief revenue officer, Lex Friedman, mm-hmm. uh, was on a couple of panels as well. Talk- and so there's a lot of now panels talking about how to do podcasting better, different skills, interviewing skills, and okay. things like this. You know, so it's for... It's for anyone. So it's not only for somebody who is at a podcast company or a public radio station or something like that. It is for if you are somebody who's got a podcast, you'd like to sort of sharpen your skills. Uh, There's a whole lot of tracks for that. There's a whole lot of like workshops. You could do worse than to, 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 to pay for this ticket and get some good advice. If I your think so. Goal is to uh, yeah. succeed. Yeah, I think so. And 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 they and and you know they talk about, of course, advertising, but they also talk about crowdfunding and other ways that this might make this, a living. How much of this useful content is going to be itself podcasted? Uh, none of it that I'm aware of. It's all proprietary. It's all proprietary. Okay. Well, it's expensive to throw a conference like <laughs> this, and it's very well done, I must say. Uh, and again, a full disclosure: uh, one of the co-founders of the conference, one of the guys who runs it. Uh, his name is Dan Franks. He started it. He, he works for Midroll now. Okay. Uh, he, he didn't when he founded the correct the conference, but came on board later. Okay. And he is now our director of live events. So he is actually the director behind our now here this conference, uh, really podcast festival. Is he still involved with the podcast festival that you attended this Movement? time? Yep. He was okay, he so was both. working it. He was working hard. Uh, but it's it's a separate thing. It's his independent project. The whole project. industry is such a such a developing and evolving. Because four well, years the, ago, when it was founded, it clearly was uh, the relationships weren't built yet. Yeah, now have I mean that's built. that's really it. It's and it, to me, it's it's sort of fascinating to be to have an eye in on it and to be able to participate at all and to learn. And I did meet lots and lots of people who are starting out or have a podcast. You know, have had a podcast for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, you know, uh, talking to folks from networks, talking to folks from the hosting companies, 
in particular is kind of is a nice kind of conversation to have. SoundCloud noticeably absent <laughs> from the speaking uh, of sending from a there. representative is yeah. expensive, but other hosting companies definitely present and and talking, uh, giving their opinions and giving some statistics that I'll share. Um, oh, fascinating! But I got to meet friend of the show Ernesto Aguilar from the NFCB in person, my first time ever. So that was wonderful that he and I had a chance to have lunch. Uh, he was on a panel that I, I unfortunately wasn't able to make because it, it was um, at the same time as something else I was committed to be at. Um, and then we're definitely, you know, talking about public radio, talking about community radio and and its viability in podcasting. Um, so it was wonderful to meet him in person. And then another friend of the show, uh, Brian Edwards Tekert, yeah, who uh, was was there, I think, just to sort of observe and absorb, and he and I had dinner. But it was lovely to meet him in person for the first time and talk quite a bit about the podcasting industry such as it is. Not that we should constantly be inviting Brian Edward Seeker and Ernesto Aguilar onto every program, but I'd love to hear from I, them. I they, think it would be wonderful to have a roundtable. And, yeah. and uh, you know, it, it, I did bring an audio recorder with me, but uh, sort of – because of the schedule I had to keep, because I was really there working you for working. for mid roll, uh, it was difficult to kind of find time uh, to do this. And these, to me at least, uh, uh, these sorts of events are kind of exhausting. Uh-huh. So by the end of the day, I'm pretty I'm pretty done in. It's a lot of people and a lot of talking or a lot of listening, as the case may be, um, and that wears me out. This is interesting because on our show, Radio Survivor, we we live in a universe of uh, radio, which is internet radio, uh, yes, radio we consider podcasting can, part yeah, of radio, radio that you can uh, download to your phone with an RSS feed, right? Uh, radio. Um, we care about radio with a dozen listeners. We care about radio with thousands of listeners. Uh, but most importantly, it's it. There's a community non-commercial ethos, right? We we're proud of the work. Um, even when it cannot pay for itself. It cannot be monetized. Monetized, right. <laughs> and you went to podcast movement, and I would assume that uh, the majority of the focus of the people there is a, is a we need to get this monetized at some so, point. So I don't know if – I mean, yes and no. Okay. So I think it would be a misrepresentation to say that people are there specifically and only to make money. I think that – People would like to be compensated for their efforts. It's better if it's not a hobby because you can do it better. Right. I mean, I don't think that there's anyone there. I think there are people there doing it as a hobby, right? I mean, people go and go to conferences for their hobbies. What is Comic-Con except one big hobby? Well, geez, I I think you can make an argument that it's actually one big entertainment industry commercial. Except the people who go, (laughs) the thousands and thousands of people who go to go sit in on panels, I mean, that's a hobby, right? And so I don't think that it is fair to say that – because I definitely talk to people who are saying, you know, know, uh, I can afford to buy some mics. And, mm-hmm. you know, or I do this as a hobby and that's the way it's always going to be, but I'd like to do it better or whatever, you know. So I don't, I, I think there are sure many people are on a track in which they'd like to professionalize, but I, I think it would be unfair to say that that is the, the crux of it. The crux sure. of it is how to do, is probably how to, how, if you want to improve, you want to do it better or you want to grow or you want to figure things out that there, here, here's a place where you can do it. There's a critical mass of people where you might be able to do it. Um, and I don't, you know, but it's certainly some of them are making a living. Some of them would like to make a living. And by the nature of the privilege of being there, 
everyone's uh, everyone's got a leg up. I mean, you know, if you can afford to go to the conference at all. Yeah, sure. Yeah. The, I, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, and there are different ways probably of, of, of discounting or whatever. It's not something sure I, I have an eye into, but you know, I mean, frankly, uh, it, it costs probably less, you know, it's not very much more expensive or costs less than a vacation in a lot of cases or, right. you know, what, and I think, I think those, to kind by of, the way, I'm just hmm? curious. Sorry, I'm teasing. What? I haven't been on a vacation uh, yeah. in a well, very long time. Right. But, uh, you know, just, I think that there's a lot of ways that people choose to spend their time and money and somebody might go, you know, to baseball camp or yeah. fantasy baseball camp, right? I mean, that, you know, and so somebody chooses to go to podcasting and some of the folks there certainly are serious and really want to professionalize and some folks are somewhere uh, on a sort of a sliding spectrum. So it's a weekend conference? Is a week? No, during the week. This was okay. during the week. So it, it was from Wednesday to Friday. Okay. So clearly you, uh, which I appreciated because that meant I get to come home and have a real weekend afterwards sure. rather than sort of having to go yeah, back to work a on work Monday. weekend. Isn't that so fun? You're, exactly. So I'm not really uh, criticizing that. And, uh, you know, and it is, and, and that is part of it, of course, is the opportunity to meet people and, and talk to with people. Panels, and learn panels, things. panels. Hmm? Morning to night. Yes. Uh, you know, and they break it up. They're keynotes. You know, yeah. which are individual presentations. And of course, there are social events pretty much every evening. There was a party or two of some sort. They have the Academy of Podcasters Awards, which they do. So ah, they give trying out to start a brand there. Mm-hmm. Where they give out sort of uh, Comedy Bang Bang is a show that got an award, for instance, uh-huh. for comedy. But they give out like these sort of like uh, Lifetime year. Achievement Awards for people who've been in the industry like a decade or so and things like that. That's hilarious. Lifetime, well, lifetime achievement awards, old timers. Yeah, well, two thousand young industry. Yeah, you know, um, and uh, you know, but it was an opportunity. I mean, to sort of, I don't really go to to podcasting. Yeah. Event. I mean, you know, as much as we're in it, I, I've I go to community radio and independent radio kind of events mm-hmm. uh, with regard to Radio Survivor. So um, I think it, it was an interesting thing to be able to attend and hear what many people think. Um, you know, I even had an opportunity. I just by chance sat down next to a gentleman who turns out he's a professor at Muhlenberg University. His name is John Sullivan. Uh, and he's writing a book on the political economy of podcasting. Political economy. Yep. Let make sure that I know what that means. So political economy is looking at the economic structure of an industry. The media is 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 one place highly studied, yeah. And, but examining it from the standpoint of also like what is the political forces at play? It's really the approach we take here mm. when we think about you know what are the investments being made by companies, how they lobby the FCC. If you're if you're the uh, Clear Channel, iHeartRadio, how you're lobbying the FCC to make decisions in your favor, in your economic advantage. Understanding that economics isn't necessarily. Uh, a strict natural science, but that right. there's a tremendous political and social element to it that, ah, that so interchanges in the structure. My, I have two thoughts about the political economy of podcasting then. One, tomorrow will be vastly different than yesterday, almost almost literally, but probably not. Right. But at least 2017, January of 2017, the political economy of podcasting is going to be vastly different than December of 2017. But it's an historical method, Right. And so what you do is you examine how did this happen? Yeah. Right. And we you know when we've talked Me. about low power FM, we've examined how it happened. And so you, you don't have to necessarily in a way like you could say tomorrow will be different than today, but in, but the history 
yeah. of course, has happened. It's how you analyze it. And, and the idea that the history will have an influence on the future and that the history of podcasting, how it has developed, this is a great way in, by the way, is, is, is an, on the one hand, it's, it's an accident, right? There are factors that were at play and they turn out a particular way. And the accident of how it happened isn't necessarily the only way it could have happened. Right. It's not like deigned by a, by a superior being. Uh, so it's not natural in that way. Sure. At the same time, there were actual decisions made by real actors, whether they be companies, individuals, or right. it could be government on entities, the one hand, that resulted in it. Multiple different uh, possible futures. We always would have had radio delivered on the internet right. somehow, it, it, with some With the way. internet, I think that's right. I think you can definitely but, say that. But the idea that uh, that one particular company, for instance, would come to define the uh, the brand of this internet radio and it accidentally get called podcasting yeah, yeah. For, for a decade uh, reminds me of uh, I was talking with some, some parents at a coffee shop and the one parent was – mentioning a child asking them like why do we even say pick up the phone because right in in the iphone universe you just you answer it you don't pick up anything yeah but we do we still talk about picking up the phone another child was fascinated to discover why powerpoint slides are called slides right so it's that was still, based upon they once were actually yeah. photographic slides you had to project so here we are in 2017 we, we still call it podcasts but my grandma still called her refrigerator an icebox. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, that that was – so not necessarily the name podcasting. That was an industry debate for many years. That's kind of – We covered it on like episode everyone's two, Everyone's given it on that one, right? But the fact that Apple, especially the United States, still seems to have a predominance, a preeminence is of much discussion. iTunes was a big deal. Well, right. So Apple in 2012 made the podcast listening app, its own app, and made it built in, undeletable sure. from your iPhone. But prior to that, it, the, they had uh, with the iTunes platform that you could go listen. That you could list that you could actually download onto a PC or an Apple. Right. It was it was a the way to listen to podcasts. Right. They were one of the first. They were the first big company to really support it. It was um, useful. You could organize them. I knew where they were. I knew how to, I knew how to um, to start generating, uh, you know, groups of my interests and and understand like when the new one was coming. It was really the first uh, app, and this is prior to mobile mobile computing. Right. But 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 since podcasting really uh, the inflection point largely sure, acknowledged is, when I is at twenty twelve uh. when when the pot because all of a sudden lots of people saw this thing on their phone podcast. All by itself, pre-installed. Yeah, what's there? Um, but that is also seen as a bit problematic at this point in the development, and and is being discussed as such. And uh, before I jump into that, I just want to remind everyone: you are listening to Radio Survivor, and we may be talking about podcasts, but this is Radio Survivor. I'm Paul Reismandel, and this and Eric my, Klein. Is my name is me. Eric Klein, and. Paul went to the podcast movement conference and talked with a lot of people and, and listened to some, some and listened panels. to a lot of things. So we're talking about the political economy of podcasting. Were you, was that everything that uh, was that professor John Sullivan that you met? 
No, was so I mean, I, I found out he was doing it. No, we didn't get too far into it. In right, fact. This is just a future. Topic so that, I was just thinking that this is a great frame for for talking about I'm how just, I just could talk about political economy. Now, well, right? that's what we are, right? Yeah. Because to think about it is actually the political economy of podcasting that why Apple is predominant because they made this a couple of these strategic moves that place podcasting up in front of a lot of people who might not have discovered it otherwise. Sure. And at this moment in time, though. Apple is not the number one smartphone maker hmm. anywhere, not in the United States, not in the rest of the world. So that means that most, you know, the number one platform is Android, right? Which, of course, is many, many companies use this, but it's Google developed it. There is no native podcasting app in Android. Right. If you get an Android phone, there is no thing on your phone automatically there that looks at you and says podcast or radio for that matter. Right. So what that means is that the majority of smartphone users do not have one immediate click access to podcasts. And and there are many in the industry who look at that is that is a little bit of a barrier to more people listening, to ah. more to more people getting turned on because they simply they don't use iPhones. And it doesn't mean that everyone who has an iPhone listens to podcasts. No. I've 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 definitely begun to understand in my in my circle of friends and family which people are not going to be listening to any talk content in their headphones ever, no matter yeah, how easy sure. it becomes yeah, yeah. or what's on there. It's just not their thing. They're just not walking around with the talk content in their headphones or sitting around. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, it, to the point in which uh, a couple of folks who, who from hosting companies, the company Blueberry and the company um, Libsyn mm -hmm. were up on stage on a panel on Friday called The State of Podcasting saying, uh, Google, get your act together and make a podcast listening app. Put it on the front page. We need that. Like Put it that on the front is something page that of Google? Of, of, your, of, of your phones. Of your Android phones, yes. See, now you can listen to podcasts in the Google Play app, which I'm, of course Yeah, I'm just going to start there. listing like a nerd every app that you can download on your Android phone to listen to podcasts. Right. But the problem is, is that have you to have know you want to them. know you want it. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's not quite there. And it was interesting in, in, in a keynote, uh, Tom Webster, who is from Edison Research. Edison Research does the share of year. We talk about it every year when it comes out, which talks about kind of the uptake of podcasting and vis-a-vis. -vis, and they also investigate AM, FM radio and satellite radio and things like this. But so he gave a, a keynote on, on some of the newer stats that he has. But he made an interesting observation that's not really statistical. And he said, you know, podcasting needs to stop talking about the technology and start talking about the uses. What do you get? It's an escape. It's laughs. It's news. It, it you know, and, and speak of it experientially hmm. rather than, you know, which I think because it began kind of in a techie world, we tend to still talk about it as what is it? Well, it's kind of like this, this MP3 audio file that you download. We instead it should be like, well, it's a way to get some really great comedy right. or it's a way to, uh, you know, to learn about, uh, you know, some particular topic. Well, it's a way to be a fly on the wall. And, yeah. and listen to two very charming and intelligent people uh, talk about what they care about. Exactly. And I think that, you know, it's a similar note that I think even community radio can take. That community radio often talks about its structure rather than what it delivers. It says, what is community radio? Well, it, it's like your whole, it's like any kind of show you want. 
well, okay, but I don't understand. You know, it, it's a lot to grapple around instead of saying, you know, community radio, uh, you know, is a way if you like local bands, local community radio is what you should be listening to. Like whether they're jazz, world beat, uh, you know, rock, uh, indie, etc. that, you know, you should be listening to community radio because that's the only place you're going to hear local bands. Mm. Or if you want to hear what's going on, uh, what's really going on in your town uh, beyond what you see in the newspaper, listen to community radio. And it does talk about that. I mean, you know, it's not as if that's left out of the conversation, but I think still very often that's a barrier for community radio in the same way it's a barrier, I think, for podcasting is to really be talking about what is the experience, right? Because if you say Netflix, well, it's like videos on your phone. Uh, No, but it's like House of Cards, you know? People can respond to that sort to to the sort of the – the the content argument, I think. Um, so that that was a lot of the, you know, it came up time and time and again. Is this notion of of wanting to kind of grow, and part of that need means to to have it be easier for people to listen to podcasts wherever, right? Um, but there are some sort of interesting stats about podcasting. I learned so Tom Cochran, who owns Blueberry, mm-hmm. he talked about how. Um, it's a platform to put your podcast yeah, on. Yeah, you know, and he said on at least on his platform, he said ninety percent of the podcasters are independent, right? Um, and that the attrition rate, meaning the churn, the number of podcasts that just go away, he says he's seeing it slowing. Okay, so people, more people are coming in, maybe uh, eyes wide open, understanding that uh, this year it's not going to necessarily pay for itself. Yeah, I'm gonna, yeah, that's what I'm assuming. Or, or, or yeah, maybe I, I you know he didn't get too he didn't get too into it of like what that would be, or the or you know yeah people who are starting podcasts maybe realize that even they're not even worrying about the economic part because I think many people aren't realize that it will take a while to develop an audience yeah. that you're just not going to drop two episodes and all of a sudden have ten thousand people uh, yeah which you might have accidentally believed was possible in two thousand nine. Yeah, because it seemed like there were. It seemed like if let you me were say, brilliant enough to even have the idea to yeah. talk into a computer, that the audience would. Uh, yeah, I think there's a flock to your light bulb like moths. Yeah, I think people are getting more sophisticated about that sort of thing on YouTube and in in podcasting right. because they're they're understanding that oh wait it, 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 you know they're sure lightning strikes but it is it is lightning and so therefore uh, more people probably have cousins that. That failed at podcasting. <laughs> yeah, maybe. And the interesting thing is he brought out the stats for... Friends uh, in college who quit their podcasts <laughs> last year. Todd brought out the stats for downloads in terms of countries. And at least on Blueberry, number two, Brazil. Oh, okay. Cool. He said, you know, I, he said, I don't think this certainly represents the industry as a whole, but I'm sharing that. We, we might have an outsized representation in Latin America, but Brazil is their number two country. We're going back to Alvaro Burns, correspondent for Radio <laughs> Survivor, to find out why Brazilians love podcasting. Yeah. Alvaro, yeah, let us know. Absolutely. Um, it's also interesting to hear. Because, I mean, is, I shouldn't just joke without cluing in the listener. Alvaro Burns is a friend of the – I just realized that. Sorry, Paul. That's okay. Uh, Alvaro Burns is a friend of Radio Survivor who listens, and we've uh, recently had him on the program. And uh, we have we learned from speaking with him out of uh, Brazil there, Sao Paulo, that uh, Brazil has a thriving community radio culture. And he is a community radio broadcaster. And he is a community radio broadcaster and podcaster. And so from this tiny window into Brazil – I can only assume 
there's an audience for audio content uh, streamed over the internet. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, Brazil has a pretty well developed uh, internet infrastructure. Also, it's a very large company country. Yeah. You know, uh, know, and uh, by virtue media uh, landscape, and also you know, by virtue, I think linguistics plays into it, right? Because the 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 native language for Brazil is Portuguese, Um, and yet you know it's on a continent which is otherwise dominated by Spanish. Right. So it, it sort of has, a, there's a lot of incentive in a way or, or say forces that, that, uh, help to uh, create a, a unique media landscape. Right. You know, yeah. you, I'm thinking about Australia's uh, animal kingdom. Right. <laughs> That's, it's like a landlocked oh, okay. little ecosystem. Right. That you, how, where else are you going to get Portuguese content? Exactly. Because in, in Brazil is now more popular populist than, than Portugal, mm-hmm. you know, whereas, you know, in sort of say Scandinavia, English language stuff tends to be more uh, popular in part because they're, they're small language communities, but the Portuguese language community in Brazil is very, very large. Neat. Um, so I think that's at least one factor, but uh, kind of going back to talking about uh, podcasting in general, it's interesting to learn from Rob Walsh, who works for Libsyn, which is another one of the biggest, if not the biggest uh, sure. podcast host companies. Whenever I give someone advice who wants to start a podcast and they kind of don't know what they're doing, I point them in this direction because it just seems so very self-explanatory and relatively simple. Libsyn will set you up. Yeah. So it's, they're one of the Lipsyn companies. is not sponsoring. We're, we're, we're making no endorsements. <laughs> we're making no endorsements. Yeah, uh, that's, but, just, uh, that's just what I would tell people in early 2017, who knows what 2018 will be? Who knows? But uh, he noted that still 84% of all the downloads in podcasting, at least on Libsyn, come from the RSS feed. Right. And so the RSS feed is the thing which is plugged into iTunes or plugged into Stitcher or plugged into Overcast or Pocket Cast, whatever player you have. Good old RSS feed. It's an RSS feed. A little piece of code that has had a whole lot of influence and staying power. Exactly. In internet history. And so that's still predominant by a large measure. But what that means is that the op- it's an open standard. Yeah. And, and, and it's important for people to understand by it being an open standard, it means that at the moment still that no company has a monopoly on podcasts, not a structural monopoly. You can create a player. You can write, you can write a player app. If you know how to write apps, you can write one. It uses, uses RSS. You can, you It'll play any podcast. Yeah, well, earlier on this episode of Radio Survivor, you were saying that someone at Podcast Movement, Paul, had demanded uh, politely that Google go ahead and create a native podcast player. And yet uh, someone else could do it too. Someone else could make this app called... Yeah, and they do. Right, you know, yeah, it just many, isn't, many it do, just isn't default on your phone. <laughs> you know, or but it could be a case in which you know you could take it to another layer. It could be something which, uh, let's say, Samsung could do. Right, when you buy a right. Samsung Android phone, it usually has these Samsung apps that are installed alongside the Google apps. So Samsung could be the company that decides it wants to have its own podcast player, and they own they sell a lot of smartphones. My favorite thing about Libsyn, and it's not uh, totally unrelated to our conversation, is that. Uh, if you go to their website, the icon is still a uh, like 2008 era iPod, like the it's one of them thick, recently featured in the movie Baby Driver. Like now it's nostalgic. Is it really? I haven't looked in a long there's, time. Wow. There's a guy, a cartoon man, sitting in a car, and the car is in fact one of these iPods, these <laughs> 160 gig pre 
phone right. MP3 players that haven't been made in quite a few that years. That Apple created that are um they're coming back. They left that logo up for so long that it actually means something again. Now that uh Baby Driver Edgar Wright's uh film yeah. uh, featured it nostalgically. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um those uh, those MP3 players, those iPods from that era are one of the devices one of the MP3 players that have not gone down in price. Uh they're in fact more and more valuable because it's it's like this piece of MP3 playing well, technology. Like, like my mini disc player. Yes. Like <laughs> that's a, it turns out we won't that, go down that, that, that once, hole. once the cloud-based streaming iPhone uh centric that's what a podcast player is world came along that this this dinosaur is actually very handsome, very useful, not attached to the cloud at all. Um, I'm never going to part with my I never iPod. owned one. I've yeah. never owned one. So, but anyway, Libsyn. And 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 a little bit to this point, you know, sort of the last part of maybe the political economy here of it. Um, but to the point of the folks who do like who would like to turn it into a business. Yeah. Um. Uh. We heard from uh, Mignon Fogarty, who is Grammar Girl. Oh, okay. So she that's her podcast, and she's built a business out of it. Uh, she joined up uh, forces with McMillan, the publisher. Uh, to create the Quick and Dirty Tips podcast network, for of which uh, Grammar Girl is like their uh, their top podcast. Um, so she's built a bit of a business, although she also, I think she is a professor at University of Nevada, Reno okay. as well. Um, but what she said is a podcast business is a lot more than a podcast. And what she means by that is that I'm nodding my head. Like, that there's a lot <laughs> else you, you might need to do. It's more than just recording voices and putting those voices on the internet in a feed. It's yeah. so much more. Yeah. And that on the, on the one hand, uh, it may be about making sure you're spreading your message far and wide. Using so having to tell people about your podcast or create other sorts of content, as they say, on other platforms, whatever they may be, so that it's complementary and maybe feeds into your podcast. Right. But that you you may need to do that. Also, she suggested you might want to have merchandise if there's something if there's something that that relates to your show. Um, for her, I, I think she has books. Uh, she's part of a publishing house, so that makes a lot of sense. But certainly many podcasters sell things like T-shirts or you know, may have other sorts of merchandise that's related to what they talk about. Uh, for instance, uh, if you we, we talk to some folks, some friends of yours who have a show all about tabletop gaming. If you have that, you might consider, well, maybe I'll open up an online store that sells tabletop games. Sure. And the podcast is part of that whole system. Uh, and, you know, I realize it's not – it may not sound useful to community radio, right? Um, except for the fact that, frankly, community radio does this. Tote bags. Tote bags, CDs, T-shirts, all this stuff that you give away as part of your fun drive is very similar to that idea. I mean, it, it, it's in the gift kind of way, but of course the IRS doesn't look at it as a, it looks at it as a gift. Meaning when you get, if you uh, take... Uh, your tax deduction for giving to the 501c3 and they give you a t-shirt with a value of $10, you get your donation minus $10 off your taxes. It's counted. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that sort of merchandise aspect 
is real and acknowledged in the real world. And I think podcasters, many podcasters do that. They have t-shirts, they have other related right. merch that yeah, they no, give to a- people. So even if it's not a, even if they're doing more of a Patreon kind of thing, and it's more of a donor model, they may still give something in exchange for those uh, donations in addition to maybe actually selling something. But I thought that was interesting advice, you know. My I, sh- visions of sugar plums dance in my head. I can see the the Radio Survivor t-shirt. But well, we have a great design. Yeah, we just need to uh, complete that package. <laughs> yes. I'd be the uh, proud, proud wearer of said t-shirt. But another thing Mignon said was that don't get it in your head that you have to make a serial style podcast to even make it a business or make it a, a part of your living. You don't have to have this super sophisticated level of production. She noted that even at McMillan, uh, some of their shows are single host or just two people talking and they have some more sophisticated productions. They have a audio drama they've recently released, cool. but that you don't have to sort of hem yourself into thinking it has to be, you know, quote unquote public radio style shows in order to, find an audience, develop an audience, um, and possibly make, make a living. Um, and I think that that's good advice. I think when I talk, I've talked to many people in the past who would like to start podcasts and because they go and look at the iTunes charts as their place to start, for examples, they feel overwhelmed. They feel like I can't do that. Or I have to do all so much work to reach this level in which I am like planet money, or I am like, uh, this American life, or I'm like 99% invisible or radio lab, which are, which are great shows. Um, and I always try to say, well, no, you need to do what you do well. I mean, and you, you should think about what is, who is your audience? As we've talked about, you should think about what is it you want to accomplish? What's your, what, why are you doing this? But that it doesn't have to only be this one way and that there are many successful shows that are essentially one person talking. Um, Lore is a show, which is that way, um, produced by a guy named Aaron Mankey, and he gave one of the keynotes. Yeah, he's Um, he's a script writer. He's a a real writer. Yeah. He's basically a short story writer reading out loud his, uh, his literature. Exactly. Exactly. And now he's going to have a series on – I think on Amazon Prime, uh, he's gonna he's releasing yeah. a book. But his podcast, as he explained, started out with him just writing this stuff and and reading it, you know. And there's shows like Hardcore History, uh, which is similar. It's monologues, historical monologues, so it's not fiction, professorial, but it's really only one person talking, yeah. and he's good at he's it. A real lecturer, but it it is all it really is. So there's a lot of different styles to do it, and none of one of these. Is guaranteed, and and what we don't hear people talk about is the shows in which all that effort went into, which didn't develop a, a listenership. Right? You never hear about the This American Life style show that didn't find an audience. Uh huh. <laughs> right. We only ever hear about the success stories, and we're left to draw these sort of conclusions without realizing that there's Edsel's or you know of of the podcast world, or there's uh, my new podcast Ishtar's of the Edsel. podcast world, the Edsel it's Ishtar podcast. That's a I'm excited about that. <laughs> uh, this is Radio Survivor. My name is Eric Klein, host of the Edsel it's Ishtar podcast, coming soon to a to a to an. Uh, only to iPods. You can only download it to 2007 <laughs> iPods. Uh, it will not be available. It's only no. On it's the, only available on cassette, which we yeah. will mail to you. Uh, and I'm here with Paul Reese Mandel, who just went to podcast movement uh, for work for part of his job with Midroll Media. 
Uh, but here on Radio Survivor, he's not speaking on behalf of. No, uh, I'm, I'm simply sharing some of my takeaways that yeah. I think are relevant. I'm to- just lucky that you. Uh, that you work there. <laughs> Indeed. And, but you, here we are and podcasting. It, it, you know, it's interesting because uh, I think it's something I would want to go to. Yeah. Right. So I, I, even just doing Radio Survivor, having been a podcaster or an enthusiast since before there was the name podcasting, since yeah. it was just me putting my radio show online. Paul Reese Mandel had a radio show on the internet before RSS feeds were the way they were delivered. Yeah. It so, was called Media Geek. Yes. Uh, and... I would probably want to go. So I, you know, and we might go as radio survivor if I didn't otherwise. Ooh, someday. Someday. Um, yeah. Someday in, in the distant future. But so I was just mentioning Aaron Mankey, uh, who does, uh, the lore podcast yeah. and he gave a keynote and he gave some tips and he should sound pretty familiar, but his full keynote was about here are the things I've learned. And I think, you know, some sort of tips and principles to keep in mind. And the first one's very simple. Be consistent. Mm-hmm. And he means that not just in sort of sort of the same length, the same day and things like this, but he's also like tone and format and and uh, it ties into his second point, which I really loved his second point. Be respectful. Hmm. Respect your audience. Respect the folks who take time for your show, which also means if you promise them something, deliver it. Huh. Right. You know, don't, you know. And and he, I heard him mention this, and I heard I heard other people mention this as well. The sort of in podcasts, sometimes people spend ten or fifteen minutes BSing and it's in jokes and things before they jump into the meat of the subject, right? And I know that's something which you and I try to do. And it was your your insight in us doing the show of we because we had talked about what if we have like a feature interview, yeah, do we do a bunch of preamble, a lot of whatever, and then do the feature interview? And you said no, there's no point in making people wait for it. Well, part of that was when we launched the program Radio Survivor two years ago. I went and did a real exploration of a bunch of shows. You know, I already had my favorite dozen uh, internet radio programs that I downloaded to my phone using uh, the the app at the of the day. But um, trying to go find uh, three dozen more just to check out for the first time and then start to think about them, I realized how very many of them were uh, people people engaging in idle chit chat. Who I, they weren't even. I didn't even have an introduction. I didn't know who they were. I didn't know what the show's topic of the day was going to be. So yeah, no. And that was. I think it's a really great insight. And and that sort of uh, delayed gratification is a remnant from broadcast. Right. You when you're trying to keep audience. somebody, you have a captive audience. You're trying to keep them tuned in. That's why when you watch the the local television news, they give you this quick little weather preview, but they delay the full weather forecast until 20 minutes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's on purpose because they know that's one of the big things people tune in for is the weather forecast. And so that's why it's delayed. But right, for the podcast, it makes no sense. Why would we make you sit through something uh, just to get to something else? Because, and even at this moment, you know, Radio Survivor doesn't have any advertisements of any sort. So uh, our, you know, minute 12 is not any more or less valuable than minute 35. And I think that, you know, we want to hope that you, you know, we hope you listen to the whole show. We hope you get something out of it. Um, But at the same time, if you're tuning in because you were promised an interview, because that's what the headline is with the the show description says, there's no point in in delaying that. So I really, I really appreciated that point. He said, you know, and other points were like, be original. There's no point in being a copycat, um, which I I also think makes sense. And, you know, it, it doesn't have to be, 
wholly original, meaning you don't have to like come up with your own format out of the blue, but that your topic is there. And and I heard that mentioned uh, elsewhere, people talking about it's a myth of podcasting that there's no good topics left. It's like, no, there are thousands and millions of ideas left for good podcasts or good radio. Yeah, it's... um. <laughs> there are yeah there are so many ways to fill up this ear space um and even if you just contained it within the world of uh the spoken word you'll never run out of, yeah. of ideas of combinations of individuals and personalities of uh ways in which to bring in new voices or exclude uh a, a variety of voices um oh boy you can i can't wait i can't wait for the next idea yeah, exactly. I mean, there. Uh, I can't wait. I agree. And he and then he said, you know, uh, be focused, right? And and I think that makes sense. I mean, especially if you want to turn your your podcast into something that might be more than a hobby. But he said, you know, there are a lot of controllable things in what you do. So focus on those and not luck. And what he means is really those other principles. Like you, you can control whether or not you're respectful of your audience. You can control whether or not you're being consistent. Those are things that you can choose to do or not do. Whether or not, you know, it turns out that some in, somebody with a lot of influence online decides to like your show and tell everyone about it, you may or may not have access. You may, may or may not be able to control that. Uh, you know, that a book publisher hears your show and calls you up out of the blue, you may never have any control over that. That's luck. But that you know, all these other factors that, that are basically about making your show something which, one, is easy to listen to, but two, people may anticipate listening to. Right. Instead of this sort of like, oh, this show is fine so much as when's number two, when's number three, you know, what will make them come back? What will make them anticipate? What will, what will reward them for their investment of subscribing to it? You know, what will bring them back? And then I think that's what he's talking about is these other factors. And I think that these are just as transportable to somebody who's doing a radio show, you know, so the consistency may be, enforced meaning you'll have a schedule it's tuesdays at four and you, you don't have show to do that time slot you don't but get that show. you know the consistency week to week and what's in the show the respectfulness of your listeners that is something under your control and those are things i think somebody would be uh well off in in trying to adopt because i've known community broadcasters or college broadcasters who it seemed like after time didn't respect their audience. Yeah, no, I definitely have been there. And uh, it can be, there can be, you, you know, you can be wrong and you could also be right. Like I'm thinking about when the phone rings sometimes because the respect, you want the respect to go in both directions. And sometimes at a community station, the phone will ring and uh, what you will get is the the opposite of respect from yeah. the voice on the end of the line. And uh, you don't want to then take that lesson to heart and the next time the phone rings treat the next uh listener with disrespect uh you know assume assume good intent right yeah listener. exactly yeah and i th- you know and I, I can understand that it, that it, it can be difficult and once you've become a broadcaster or a podcaster it's easy to forget that it's still a privilege hmm. to have this megaphone of sorts to speak to more people than will fit into a room, into an average size room, um, and to 
respect that privilege and then respect those people who come in. And again, that's something we we've talked about many, many times. Uh, it bears repeating because <laughs> it seems as though often people don't res- respect the uh, that that relationship uh, between the broadcaster, podcaster, and listener. Sure. Um, but I, I I think it's it continues to be an, an important point to make um, for community broadcasters in particular who might want to be doing podcasting. I heard an interesting thing from Jennifer Farrow. She's uh, she runs KCRW. Okay. In Santa Monica, California. Good reputation for making radio. Making radio. And they also, uh, they do the radio. What is their radio contest called? The race, yeah. The radio race, right. Which is kind of also a podcasting race. It's sort of, I mean, again, I we would say podcasting is radio. So. Uh, Audio content. Well, speaking of um Oh, you know the the vast variety of audio content. The, if you want to, if you want a sampling of what's possible, uh, check out any any radio race entry, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. skip to the next radio race entry, and you'll really hear. There's quite a bit of diversity there. Yeah, and she was speaking actually on a panel, the first panel of the day, which was all radio people, all radio execs. So there was somebody from iHeartMedia. Mm-hmm. So that's a new thing at a podcast movement. There was somebody from Cumulus Media. That's a new thing. Uh, and, and somebody, obviously, from, from KCRW. That was fun because the first two names of companies that you mentioned have been companies that have been kind of battered around here on Radio Survivor Indeed. once or twice. If you check out the archives, yeah. there's been a lot of um, uh, 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 tough Love is probably a nice way to put it for <laughs> iHeartMedia. Indeed. Uh, and so there was cumulus. a whole a day-long track on Thursday dedicated to radio and podcasting. I only went to the first one. It was the only one I, I had the time uh, to make uh, to hear this. And um, to get, it was interesting to hear this perspective as they're trying to embrace radio. But what, what Jennifer Farrow, who is the – who runs KCRW said is that what she's discovered is that podcasting and radio serve different purposes, at least as far as the, the platform and medium is. And she said, you know, they really discovered that radio is what's happening right now. Right. And people want the news they want, or they want music right now. Yeah. And NPR recently branded all of their headlines packages with the adjective live. Yeah. That's probably Exactly. Live yeah. from Washington or live, live, live. live yeah, yeah, exactly. And that, you know, podcasting also serves available as, on their podcast app, NPR one. Exactly. <laughs> Ser- serves a different purpose and <laughs> that you're in that you're, you know, you may be looking for these deeper dives, right? You may be looking for things that are much more focused in terms of their content or their subject. On a matter. podcast instead of on a radio. Yeah. Um, and that she found that uh, podcasting. You cannot open the phones on your podcast unless you're streaming. Yeah, exactly. Or or you do it car talk style and you call pe- you call people back. Yeah, but that's that's not that's cheating. <laughs> that's cheating. I mean, you know, literally like we're talking about today on the program on Radio Survivor, we are talking about podcast movement, the conference that Paul just attended. If you have an opinion about the thing that and then you open the phones and just the the wonder of the universe yes, opens up the like randomness anything of it can all. happen. Of course, we would love to hear from you if you have an opinion. Yeah, that's true. Do do this email is the right us. Time of Podcast at radiosurvivor.com. Podcast at radiosurvivor.com. We've rolled out this carpet and we continue to roll it out. If you want to record a commentary, we'd love to help you do that. I mean, one way to do it is to just use uh, like the little audio note recording 
function yeah, on, your on your voice memo app on your phone and just email it to us. Yep. Or um, if you, we need to work it out some other way or you, you know, want to express your opinion on the show. We would love to have you. We don't, you know, we're, <laughs> we don't, it is a bully pulpit, I suppose, but we're very welcome. We really welcome people to come in and, and share the platform podcast at radiosurvivor.com. Uh, but what, one of the things that Jennifer from KCRW said is that they're finding that promoting podcasts, on radio doesn't work as well as you'd think. And I think a lot of folks have assumed that one of the reasons that uh, public radio podcasts tend to do well is because of the connection to radio. And I think that's true, but that it's not specifically or only necessarily because they get promoted. I have a very strong opinion about this. Yes. What is that opinion? It's because of the professionalism, consistency, and, uh, and skills and just skills. <laughs> these radio skills are why these shows make great podcasts. And then the brand is aware. Well, and I do think that it's more about, oh, I've heard of that when I'm looking at. Yeah. So I don't think it's necessarily always that people are listening to public radio and hearing about a podcast, then going to the podcast app. What Jennifer Farrell points out is that so much of the listening is in the car, although I think that's a little bit of an L.A. centric viewpoint. Oh, yeah, it is. Um, and that's not a place you're going to go look for the podcast. And you, there's a quick descent of you remembering about that podcast you heard about in during the, you know, at five thirty while you were on the on the five. Alexa, what was that podcast I heard today? Exactly. But rather, I think when people go look at podcasts, they say, "Oh, I know, I've heard. Oh, this American, I've heard of that. I've heard of NPR. I've heard of this brand, and I'm more likely to check it out." Um, but I thought that was an interesting insight to think about with regard to community radio. Right. And you'd think, okay, well, community radio could promote their podcasts on, on, on the air. And I think they should, but it's more about something we've talked about here and there of the stationist platform. Again, that people would know your station in your town and associate your station with doing good local stuff. Yeah. And that, and, and, and trying to reach people in various places maybe not necessarily on a radio station, but that you have this audience maybe on Facebook, on Twitter, or in other arenas, could be print, could be in your local alt-weekly or your local newspaper, and letting them know, oh, also, you can you can listen to either some of our shows as podcasts, or we have podcasts that exist independently of the, of the airspace, either because we don't have enough space for everybody, or because we've got some content that maybe isn't 100% appropriate for uh, FCC-regulated sure. airwaves. Um, so I thought that was an interesting insight. And I heard we heard from uh, Fred Jacobs. Uh, uh, he is he runs an outfit with his brother uh, called uh, Jacobs Media. And they're they're consultants, basically. Mm-hmm. And he sort of set up this panel of the radio execs in which he said commercial radio has one percent of podcasting content right now. One percent of podcasts, I don't know how they counted this, of all podcast content out there, only one percent comes from commercial radio. Oh, okay. And when you think about how many thousands of radio stations there are, commercial radio, of course. So that doesn't public radio is not commercial radio. Correct. Correct. He's In very specifically <laughs> means commercial radio. Yeah. Regardless of what pe- some people think about right. 
<laughs> how commercialized professional radio public radio is seems. Than commercial yes, radio. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. He does not say radio or licensed radio. He yeah. just said commercial radio. And that's interesting when you think about how many stations there are. Right. And even if a lot of it it is Well, I would I would reference uh, listeners back to conversations on Radio Survivor about yeah. what's going on at iHeartRadio and Cumulus where uh those are not expanding industries where they're taking risks. Yeah. Those what, are they're they're losing jobs every week. What the guy from iHeart said was is what they're finding is that they're taking their most popular sort of morning shows. Yeah. And turning those around into podcasts as quickly as they can. Mm-hmm. Uh, needs to be kind of host team driven. They might have some music, but there's a lot more interview sure. chit chat kind of based shows and turning them around quickly because of the fact that let people kind of finish their commute, if you will. So if your commute was, is maybe like 45 minutes and, and you know, you had to get out of your car and, and go into your office and you didn't get to finish uh, hearing that interview with Taylor Swift you can go back and get the podcast to finish the end of that interview. And that seems to be where they're uh, finding some success with, with podcasting. But that said, uh, you know, there's a, only so many big morning shows, you know, like the Elvis Duran sort or breakfast club sort. Um, I wonder how well that interprets to like, there are still local morning shows, even outside of uh, large, you know, top 20 markets. I wonder how well that works. Maybe it does. I, I mean, it's, it's really a question. I have really no idea. One of the most popular podcasts in Portland, longstanding and successful is a, um, a real radio survivor. Uh, they're the fired morning show hosts and they went, they went indie after losing their jobs. Are they and, still, are they still going? Yeah, They're still doing it. Why do I not know this? It's Why called, have we not had them on the called, show? It's called Fun Employment Radio. And I'm, oh, okay. I'm not a listener. I'm just aware do you know, of their work. Where, do you know what station they're fired from? I forget. Okay. Yeah, look we them up to, on we need, we need to go look this up and, and close that loop. But yeah, they, and they're... Um, they do quite well in Portland. You know, Portland's mm-hmm. a teeny tiny media Well, place. and that's something which I think, you know, too often, you know, podcasting is dominated by this sort of nat- national... Uh, perspective yeah like you right. know you don't get on the itunes charts unless you are nationally popular yeah and and radio is a fundamentally local phenomenon yeah right we I'm, don't there are no national radio ratings they don't exist um in a way that does for like television ratings yeah. it's always local and that's that's a gap right well, it's also it's a funny thing if you're thinking about the advertising ecosphere like of course there are going to be some brands that want to sell you their product over the internet and can ship them anywhere. But you're going to, when you, you know, you're never going to hear a, a, a podcast ad for the local restaurant. Well, you will because the very Paul's nature of twinkling. podcast <laughs> advertising will probably change local ads. Uh, it's something called ad injection. It's happening already. It's, sure. it's imperfect and there's, it's very controversial in many cases. Why wouldn't Spotify yeah. Well, I mean, if you listen to Spotify or Pandora, you'll get local ads. Right. Right. So it's it's the same technology. Paul Reismandel of Radio Survivor, I'm really excited that you have reported back to me, Eric Klein, from this podcast movement conference that you attended. Gosh, was that was was that everything? That was that everything. You Go to, to our website, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast to catch show notes. Uh, click links to things that we talked about on the show. We are listener and reader supported learn how you can help us keep doing what we're doing by going to radiosurvivor.com slash support i need to ask you how is podcasts doing 
Like, is are people? I'm in in this in this universe of uh, anxiety and fear about the future. Are people who podcast? Uh, I think they're sanguine. I think they are hopeful and sanguine. This is yes. interesting. And and I did hear folks like conversations. Of course, mentioned the current political climb. Sure, as as often a, as a background. But if you went to like a conference of newspaper reporters, for instance, right. those those people are losing jobs. Right, and I think that it'd be hard for podcasting to lose jobs unless <laughs> unless it were on a on a tremendously steep decline. Uh, it's not big enough to fail. It's not yet big enough to fail. Hey, that's that's, that's the title of today's episode. Thanks for listening, everybody.